A lot of exciting news out of the Atlantic League. Some we knew, some we didn't. You'll want to stay tuned for all of this episode to find out everything happening in the exciting world of independent league baseball here on the Indie Ball Report Podcast. Alright, we are back again. Episode number 102. We are really starting to get into the triple digits now, and that is uh, pretty exciting. Obviously, as you could tell, there's a lot of exciting news this week. I'm Nick, he's Will, and we're going to talk about Atlantic League news, which is kind of helpful seeing as we have like the best guy for Atlantic League talk as the co-host of this show. And then we also have some exciting news out of the Frontier League. So if you're a Frontier League fan, you're going to want to stay tuned all the way throughout the end. If you're an Atlantic League fan, uh, still stay tuned throughout the whole thing because it'd be kind of weird if you just listened to half of it. And if you're new to this show because, you know, uh, we have a new independent league team that we've been talking about for the past like month and we just finally got to go formal, uh, welcome aboard. In any case, I suppose we should actually uh, start talking brass tacks here and we'll uh, we've said that Lexington's going to be in the Atlantic League now for how long would you say? About a month, month and a half now? Yeah, yeah about, about a month. Yeah, it, it's been the worst kept secret. I mean, Lexington to the Frontier League looks like a lock early on, but as soon as the Frontier League kind of took Tri City uh, and where they were at 16 teams, it was kind of, it was kind of like, well, do you want to lead 16? Because 16 is such a great number to operate with a league and we'll, we'll definitely get more into that later. Uh, but it became pretty apparent that the Atlantic league, even though Lexington, they're not, they don't really go into that, uh, that area very often, or I don't think they ever have before. It, the market was too good to pass up for the Atlantic league. And I think I speak for everyone, for people around the Atlantic league. We're very, very excited to, to bring Lexington in, in officially now. Uh, and I think there will be, I, I, I anticipate a, a great market for Atlantic league baseball. I really do get the official, uh, uh, pomp and circumstance out of the way. I guess it became official on Thursday. Uh, the Atlantic league and Lexington announced that they, that the legends would be joining the Atlantic league. Like was mentioned. And like I've been saying, uh, we've known this for like a month and a half now, since the Tri-City news. And the Tri-City thing was really, I think, kind of a curveball to us at the time. We were like, I'm, that's yeah. a bit surprising and whatnot. And now it all seems to, as we have all the information out here, all the pieces having fallen into place now, it makes more sense. It seems like Tri-City was more concerned about the added expenses they're going to have, and that's why the Frontier League became more of a, uh, I guess, ideal destination for them. On the flip side, with Lexington, they were less concerned about the expense that they'd be bringing on, which is, of course, a lot of various things, but the big two really are coaching staff and the roster itself. And it seemed like for Lexington, they were more concerned about making sure they still had those 60 to 70 home dates. Uh, This year, we know there's going to be 60 now. I believe it was Andy Shea, the CEO of Lexington, mentioned that it was going to be 60, so that's 120 game slate this year, which does make sense. It adds onto the timeline, and they're already losing one month due to the COVID uh, delayed start. And so with that, we know it won't be a regular about 140 game season, but in regular times, they would have those extra 10 home games, and that's similar to the schedule they used to play in. Uh, you mentioned that it is a great market, and it really is a great market too. Uh, they averaged about 4,000 in attendance in 2019, a little over that, I think 4.4 thousand in 2018 too, for a ballpark that holds about 7,000, I believe. And uh, it certainly is a good number. If you're averaging that, it definitely helps out because you have to keep in mind here, you're also taking into effect like the Wednesday day game from like May where you don't have the camps in yet and there's maybe a 1,000 people in the ballpark. And then you're also getting the full like, 7,000 crowd that you would normally get in the middle of July on a Saturday night for fireworks. So if you're picturing your average, like say Wednesday uh, day game or Wednesday afternoon game rather, and you're having 4,000 there, it's pretty good. I think the market's definitely solid. I'd say Lexington, King County and Tri-City were really the big three and each league manages to walk away with one of them. So that's definitely a huge plus there as well. Agreed. I think it's a huge plus because each league 
has certainly improved. I'll actually scratch that. I don't, I don't know if the you could really improve by losing teams like St. Paul and Sugarland and Somerset and such awesome independent league markets like that. But, I mean, given the circumstances, I think each league did pretty well here, although I would have I would have guessed Tri-City was would be an Atlantic League team and um, and Lexington heading to the Frontier League ended up ended up switching around. But I still think I think the important thing for Lexington fans to know, I mean, it, it, if you're listening, um, you're getting an upgrade in talent uh, in, in a talent level. I think there's there's a good market um, of around that that Kentucky, West Virginia, um, that that area in the South, or even Virginia as well, where I think you're you're gonna, you have a, a good talent base for players who are making who who have like off season homes kind of near there and who who are from there. I think we've seen High Point really dominate with that uh, and has been really impressive. And not to mention, as um, I guess the second part of this is Le- the Lexington Legends did not wait around at all to, to announce their manager. And it was, it was PJ Phillips, who uh, is actually the, the brother of uh, former MLB all-star Brandon Phillips. Cause PJ Phillips was there uh, managing the legends during the battle of the bourbon trail, kind of their pop-up league this summer. He, he won a championship with the Vallejo admirals of the Pacific association seems to be really, really well liked by the players. Um, really well liked by the fans. He played in the Atlantic league with long Island and Camden in 23 and 2014. So it, it, it seems like, it seems like PJ Phillips is also a very good recruiter as well. Will he be able to recruit on, on an Atlantic league stage? That remains to be seen, but I think it will be, uh, I think it will be interesting and I can't rem- and Nick, correct me if I'm wrong. I cannot remember an Atlantic League manager that's as young as 34 years old at any point. I, and I could, I could be wrong here, but I cannot remember a manager being that young in this league. I don't think th- we've seen 34. I know we've had some in their 30s. I think Ross Peoples with Lancaster got started in his right. late 30s. I don't know about anyone else though. I think by and large, normally was about 40s or later. For most managers in the league, I, but 30, you said 32 or 34, 34, right? 34. 34. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 34, I think may actually be the youngest. If not, it's certainly up there. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I think that that offers a lot of its advantages because listen, Lexington, I mean, you don't know the specifics of who was interviewing. I mean, if they, if they brought in PJ Phillips that fast, not sure really how much of a search they, they actually did. For, for the managerial job. I mean, you had guys like Brett Jody, like John Hutton, um, and as well as, as well as some other guys who were, uh, who've been really experienced. Of course, Kevin Baez as well, experienced in independent league baseball. And they chose to go the other route, which could really end up working out. Or it, it I mean, it honestly could be a disaster. I guess we'll, we'll have, we'll have to see. Uh, how it turns out, but it's, he seems to have a lot of fans, at least from the people I've spoken to. Uh, PJ Phillips seems to have a lot of fans in the, in the indie ball community and players that have really enjoyed playing for him in the Pacific Association, especially, you know, in the Pacific Association when the situation isn't always great out there. You're, you're not getting paid a lot. The travels, the travels a lot. Uh, and you really need a good manager for that and he and of course he had lots of success out there as well so i I think it's i think it's an interesting hire i think it's uh it's a hire that definitely has a higher ceiling than most so i think it'll it'll be fascinating to see what kind of team pj phillips puts together yeah i'm I'm gonna touch on pj in just a second here i just want to do a little bit of cleanup work with some of the other lexington stuff just a backstory on him uh previously before uh becoming a part of the Atlantic League. They were a Class A South Atlantic League team affiliated with the Astros for from their founding to 2012, so 01 to 2012. And then they were a Royals affiliate starting in 2013, running through until they were just recently cut from uh, what was Minor League Baseball, MILB, and now is some other weird name. That was part of it. And then part of the reason that was given for why they're in the Atlantic League was actually going back to that Battle of the Bourbon Trail, like you just mentioned. And they saw the rosters and the fan engagement and just kind of the fan feedback and everything. And 
those rosters too. And admittedly, when you look at them, they do have a striking resemblance to an Atlantic League roster. And so I think they saw kind of almost a trial run here. Because let's be honest, a lot of these teams kind of knew what was coming down the pipe. And even if you didn't uh, fully expect that you were going to be one of those teams, I'm sure a, just about every minor league affiliate, especially ones that were independently owned, as in they just had an, an agreement here. They weren't owned by the same group or same owner that owned the major league parent club. They had just cause to be very concerned about this. So that battle of the Bourbon Trail kind of acted as a trial run for, okay, well, if we do get cut, then this is what we could kind of expect to see. And I guess they really liked that result. And my guess is, is that's kind of that trial run that PJ got. And he did a good job during that trial run. And I guess they liked what they saw here and said, we don't really need to interview much further. And I think it's one of those cases where if you like the guy you have and you believe in the guy you have, then what's the point in interviewing other guys if you're going to wind up coming back here? Like, I understand doing due diligence. Obviously, you have, uh, you know, these highly respected names that are bouncing around here. You want to check every base and make sure you have the right guy. But at the same time, if you have a working relationship with somebody, it's in good shape. You like what he did. You like the way he manages. You don't hear any complaints about the guy. Then why would you bother really searching high and low for another option? And I think that's kind of the case here. He, PJ has the experience of managing in the Pacific Association, which is arguably a more difficult league to draw guys into just because of its, you know, setup. Uh, I don't like to throw stones at kind of these lower tier indie leagues. That's essentially what they are. But they're playing basically in city parks. It's hard to get people in there. I don't know what they're paid annually or per week, rather. But I can very well guess it's no more than a couple hundred bucks. It's not exactly the easiest league to get talent to. And it was pretty centrally located between like no more than six teams at any real given time in that league. And now I'm not even sure what they're doing this year. I mean, I think they only have three teams or four teams. It, it's a whole weird stuff they have over there. But enough on the Pacific Association. The point is he's proven himself as a manager. He's won as a manager. He's seemingly taken that next step. And kind of advanced from there and what's kind of funny is i believe it was way way back a couple months back like maybe even in october but i had mentioned something like you know who'd be a good manager for gastonia brandon phillips because he has a name there he's yeah. a player manager he's the guy that can bring people in he'd be perfect for that kind of thing and it's just kind of funny that we still do have a phillips in the atlantic league as a manager it's just not the one that i threw out there but in all honesty, you probably got the better of the two. I mean, you have a guy that's been managing since, what, 2016? So yes. he has about four or five years of managerial experience under his belt. And he's also, you mentioned how he's young, 34. I wonder if that kind of gives him a leg up also in trying to recruit players in and, Possibly, and get players yeah. around. Because he still almost certainly knows a lot of guys that are still active and playing. And there is an allure with that and you can connect better with these guys. And so I'm sure that only matters so much because at the end of the day, if you have an opportunity to go somewhere and play ball at a higher level that you can get yourself noticed and then get your, it used to be get your contract purchased, but now it just seems like you get contracts selected. I don't think they really sell contracts anymore to major league clubs, but at the same time, if it can help you out, you're going to do it. But I do wonder if that's going to help or how much it will help in the whole uh, recruiting process. Yeah, and, and I think from a fan engagement perspective, it, it, it's you mentioned that the Battle of the Bourbon Trail was this trial run of indie ball essentially, and and it worked really well. And I think the the other thing is the fan base is they're, they're venturing into something that's a lot is a lot newer. Of course, they had the Battle of the Bourbon Trail, but that wasn't very many games, so they they're venturing into something new. Uh, and it's good to have a guy like PJ Phillips who clearly has the energy and the fans know him. And so I think that, I think that'll play a role in hopefully keeping the fan interest and engagement up as they're starting to move into the Atlantic League. That's really important. And could, because, I mean, you look at the, the, the last uh, team that had in their inaugural season in the league, the High Point Rockers, they had a great season on the field. Say what you want, though, attendance-wise, fan engagement-wise. They had a great first night. Dante Bichette Jr. hits a home run. They beat the Sugarland Skeeters 1-0. It's a great night, but 
the attendance wise and, and really fan, fan engagement wise, it wasn't really there. So I think that's going to be, that's going to be interesting. And Pete Fish, when he came on, he said, he talked about wanting to change a lot of that, the ways that they market to, to the surrounding North Carolina area, not to make this too much about the high point rockers, yeah. but I think you see what, what I'm saying as far as trying to establish a fan base and getting them excited about indie ball and the high point rockers. We really haven't seen it yet. Not to say that it can't happen, but we, we haven't seen it yet. And hopefully PJ Phillips being a, a high energy, uh, young character that he is uh, being the player manager and hopefully bringing in some great talent and being able to get the Lexington fan base excited here. Cause I mean, you could, we've seen at least in the past with new Britain, not to say this is a new Britain situation at all, but you see, the fan base almost deflate after they lose an affiliation. So it's really important to have a guy as the face of your franchise, like a, like a PJ Phillips, who's going to, who's going to keep up the energy and is going to look to keep the fan base excited and passionate, even though they're no longer having the Kansas city Royals top prospects coming to Lexington. Exactly. And I think part of what gives the legends a bit of an advantage is they're keeping that same brand, according to Shea, that they're keeping the same ticket prices too. So there's a lot of it that's going to seem pretty seamless until you get really into the ballpark and you notice, okay, there's no major, well, there's still be major league logos because they're technically a partner league, but there's no MILB logos. The Royal logo isn't there. And instead of having the South Atlantic League logo all over the place, it's an Atlantic League logo all over the place. So I think that's also going to help them a lot because unlike in New Britain, there isn't a going from, oh, what happened to the Rock Cats and who are the bees? It's going to be, oh, the legends are still playing. Everything's back to normal. And then when you get in, there's that bit of a transfer over. Plus, the Atlantic yeah. League also does draw in a lot of, you know, former major league guys, guys that had, uh, you know, a couple years. And there are in some cases, they're really well known guys in major league baseball. And then they've just kind of filtered out. So having those kind of big names and, being able to presumably grab a couple of former Cincinnati Red type players, right. that should be able to help out a lot too. I think you could realistically see a, a nice kind of steadying in attendance. I, I'm i not sure if 4,000 is still reasonable here because we always know there is a drop off. And let's not forget that going from 18 to 19, 400 pe- less people on average per game showed up. So there's, that's something that's also important to note. But granted, I will also concede across the board the numbers were trending a bit downward here and probably coming out of a year where realistically in a COVID summer there wasn't going to be much you could do and a lot of people probably weren't going to feel real comfortable doing what you could in 2020. Now in 2021 if we're going to say okay things are going to be better with the vaccine and more effective treatments and just everything gets a lot better and easier and I don't want to say back to normal but a lot closer to the normal we remember you could probably i would say a lot more people are going to feel comfortable going out and a lot more people that maybe in the past wouldn't have thought to go out to a baseball game because they would have been content doing whatever they were previously doing are going to say you know what after the chaotic and hellscape of a year we just came out of i want to go out i want to do something i want to be around people i want to you know kind of take advantage of all the things that i wasn't able to do for the past you know 18 months or however many months it's going to be and so that could definitely help with attendance as well too yeah i really wanted to nick i wanted i really wanted to circle back to to one point you touched on there Hmm. and that's the whole the whole team branding part of it because if you want to compare lexington and new britain that's two things that they did very differently because the new britain when they were the i believe was the twins double a affiliate that they came out of um, when they were the New Britain Rock Cats, and then they changed to the New Britain Bees, saying, "Hey, we, we we're, this is a new era of New Britain baseball. The Rock Cats, like, kind of, it still reminds us of like being an affiliate. We want to change. We want to step. We want to uh, show that this is the new era of New Britain baseball." I kind of disagree with that because, and I, I like what the what the legends did because I think that when you keep the branding the same and you already have a pretty good fan base you know i, I think that it, it's still it's, it's even if people like the casual fan or people are just looking for a night out i think originally who don't even really know like what play is on the field to be honest they're like yeah. oh let's go to a legends game they don't even, they might not know 
for one part. And I also think it's important when you when you make the the step down from affiliated baseball to indie ball that you want to that you still want to be like, hey, this is still legends baseball and this is still high quality legends baseball i mean we know it's, it's an upgrade in talent i mean people who follow the league certainly know that they'll be getting better talent than they did in, in single a ball but I, I think it's important to really um to, to keep the energy and the passion high with that Le- lexington legends name and to show like hey this is still like the same front office group it's still the same branding we're still going to have lots of fun at the ballpark players might be a little different but but it's still going to be the same fan experience so i mean that that's something that you have on both sides of it we've seen both sides and and i really think it's a good idea now let's say because i think it's it's pretty clear that the atlantic league really wants staten island for 2022 obviously staten island's got to change their name right oh yeah absolutely they they, they can't i mean i mean after all they're they're going to be in a court battle this summer so they definitely cannot have the name of the Yankees. So I wonder how much that'll affect them specifically, especially with being in the same city as uh, the the brand that is the New York Yankees. That's going to be something that's interesting to me because you have two sides, two opposite sides of the spectrum here. That's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out when you're introducing a former affiliated market to indie ball. Yeah, absolutely. And just one other thing that's a bit different between Lexington and New Britain real quick, and then I'll get on to Staten Island for a second. Sure. The ballparks, too, are very different. I yeah. believe it's Whitaker Ballpark or, or Whitaker Bank, Bank Ballpark. Yeah, Whitaker yeah. Bank Ballpark. That building and ballpark and stadium as a whole is a lot better than the New Britain Stadium was. It's a lot newer, sure. and it's just overall going to be a lot easier to get players to want to play there than in New Britain. And likewise, it's going to be a lot easier of a sell to fans to say, hey, look, it's still the same ballpark that you remember and you know, and we're going to be able to do a lot of the same things and even some new things that before maybe we would have gotten a good scolding for. Now we're not going to get a scolding for them at all because we're not really constrained by anybody. And that's definitely going to be a big sell there as opposed to trying to get people into how old was that New Britain ballpark? Like it seemed like it was 70 plus years old. I'm not sure if it was actually that old or not, but it definitely didn't. You know, it's funny, Nick. I could be wrong here. I don't think it's like years wise. It's that old. It's just like the upkeep. Because it was never maintained. I'm, yeah, I'm. I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm sure it was not maintained at all. Let, let me check here. Yeah, oh, yeah, it was opened in 1996. Really? Yeah. Re- so the ballpark's only a year older than I am. Yes, it is. Wow. The ballpark was built and ni- opened in 1996 in New Britain. You but could not tell. I, I honestly am shocked. Like I thought you were gonna say like 1970s, maybe no. like mid 80s. I was not expecting like mid to late nineties. Ninety six. When was the Lexington ballpark built? Because I'm gonna uh, like I honestly that was uh that I do know that was two thousand one. Okay, okay. I was gonna figure it's gonna be about two early two thousands because I was gonna say it'd be kind of funny if it was built before the uh, New Britain one. But oh, that'd be hilarious. That's just a see, kids. This is why you maintain the things you get because yeah. that's only like a five year difference between the two ballparks. That shows you how important, like, quality of construction is, first off. And secondly, how important it is to maintain things. Also, see Long Island for the import, or not Long Island, uh, Stanton Island for the importance of maintaining things. And with that, I'll segue over. Uh, I know our friend and friend of the show, uh, Rob Pimsner, was tweeting out, like, what do you want the team name to be? And I saw a lot of things relating back to kind of the maritime tradition of Long Island, something that relates back to, you know, like boats and I guess the the whole seafaring way of it. And uh, I, I imagine they're probably going to go with something like that, but it will be interesting to see how that will wind up relating back to uh, to uh, getting people into the ballpark when you have a new brand identity, which I'm not... I think it's also a bit different, too. There's obviously yeah. a lot more people in the greater New York area than there is in the greater Lexington area. Uh, right. I mean, just in Staten Island at low, and I imagine on the island itself, there's more people than in the whole county that Lexington's in. 
Uh, I can also imagine you'll be able to draw people from the other side of the bridge from New Jersey in and maybe some other people from other boroughs as well. Yeah, Uh, as one of those people from New Jersey, I will certainly be there. Once they become an Atlantic League team, you you can bet I will be there. Hopefully there's a better parking situation because otherwise it, it was pretty rough. It was pretty rough. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, we always talk about this on the show. Whenever we mention something, it kind of just, it just kind of happens. So hopefully there'll be good parking there and then they'll eventually have a rivalry with Nork because Nork will get a team back, right? I'm going to keep trying to speak it no, into existence no, because I want it's it. Not, it's not going to happen, sorry, but I'm dude. trying. I'm trying. It's not happening. It would not be successful either. I don't know. If it would. Okay. Like, this is a discussion for another day because we have other stuff to talk about, but. I will say this much. I think Nork has a better chance of succeeding than a lot of people want to give it. And all of it needs the proper resources. But I'm not sure if it could get those resources. So that aside here, we will wrap up the Lexington topic with a couple of other things of note uh, that the perceptive eye would have gathered. And also anyone that watched the the press conference that just kind of watches uh, the Atlantic Twitter feed. Not the official one, but just people associated with the Atlantic League. Uh, we know from the kind of town hall event Lexington held, their home opener will be June 1st. The schedule should be out within a week. Uh, so probably next week we'll be breaking down the Atlantic League schedule, which will be very cool to do. See some interesting things here. And we'll also probably get the setup of the league. And on that note, I was rereading through some of the tweets. And I noticed the Pete Fish tweet had mentioned that now that Lexington's going to be in the South Division. Now, this is a bit of a departure Ooh. from what we are used to because we're used to, like, freedom Finally. and liberty. Yeah, so we, can, so we can kind of infer here we're going to have a North Division and a South Division. Now, it could still be called liberty and freedom, but in essence be, free, uh, be North and South. That said, I think we can kind of put the pieces together here to say, all right, we know that Gastonia and High Point are going to be in the same division. That just makes sense. And we know Lexington's going to be with High Point. That leaves one spot open there. Presumably, it's going to be West Virginia when they get formally announced next week, because supposedly that's when they're getting announced. Um, And hopefully, we'll have that to talk about as well. And also, we know from a Mike Ashmore tweet that it does not look likely that Brett Jody or John Hunton will be in the Atlantic League, which is a bit of a surprise for all of us. And we probably just let the cat out of the bag that they're, well, if you're following along with the Twitter feed, or either one of the Instagram pages, you'd already know that uh, Gastonia didn't go with Brett Jody like we all were kind of expecting and kind of chose a, a curveball type candidate here. But we'll get to that in just a minute. Uh, so we know that it's more than likely not going to be Brett Jody or John Hutton over in West Virginia or in any other openings at the moment. So it'll be interesting to see who West Virginia announces. They already have their staff in place. We don't know who the staff is, but it's already in place. We know that much. Interesting. Yep. So one, one more note on the staff for Lexington before we move on, but I, I had to fit this in here. Yeah. Do you think Brandon, Brandon Phillips is involved at all with Lexington? I could see it at some point. I could uh, see. The thing is, isn't Brandon Phillips in his forties now? I think like, he just turned 40. Okay. Yeah. So he's starting, we'll say 39, 40. I don't think he really has any interest in coaching. And moreover, I don't think he has any real interest in continuing to play. So I could see him just kind of showing up at the ballpark every once in a while. Maybe do one of like those meet and greet type things that you throw out on like a Thursday night or a Friday night to try and draw in more people for a crowd and have them sign baseballs and take pictures and do things like that. I could see that. I'm and maybe like in a pinch if they you know are like ah oh, we really need a dude here can you fill in the, for like a day or two on this homestead until we can get another player in here full time I could kind of see like that kind of a thing but I don't think there's going to be any sort of like uh kind of formal role for him I would say of like at most the community outreach I just don't think he'd be very interested in it and i mean fair enough i mean the guy's been playing professional baseball for it seems like two decades now if not it's close to two decades so i mean he has every right to be like look i'm kind of good i just want to enjoy my retirement here and exactly yeah yeah. so i I think that's kind of where it's at with him 
think I'm with you. It's fun to think about a potential. Oh, it definitely is. Brandon Phillips is a hitting coach, but you know, I think he has better things to do than be an Atlantic League hitting hitting coach. Exactly that, and I think uh, I think I'd be more interested to see who else could possibly get that job here because it's always, in my opinion, at least, it's a little bit more interesting when we see either kind of a player coach situation or lesser known guys get gigs. I think that's just a bit more interesting to see than what happens from there with these other guys here. And uh, before we move on to uh, Gastonia, one other thing of note, we know the games will be, uh, will be live streamed through some means. And it does not look like the Atlantic league is going to go to some sort of formal streaming service like the uh, AA baseball TV it looks like it's going to be, a, again, another year of kind of piecemeal streams where we have some on YouTube, some on another's platform, some on whichever platform, which I got to say, at first, I was real up in arms against the whole uh, American Association, like, streaming platforms. Like, oh, I don't know. It's not really fair to make people pay for the product and everything. I think you're more limiting your mark and everything. But after going through the season with it, as long as the price point stays at around 20 bucks, personally, yeah. I'd be cool paying it. Like, same thing with the Atlantic and Frontier Leagues. If the price point's fine on it and it's like 20 bucks or less, hell, I'd even probably go up to like 25 or possibly 30. I think 30 would be pushing it just because I don't like the idea of paying about $100 a year to watch each of these three uh, leagues play. As long as it stays reasonable, I like it a lot better. It's a lot easier to switch in between games. It's a lot easier to keep track of everything. It just, it's a more, I, I'd like to say it's just an easier experience. It's a better fan experience overall. Plus, it also opens up the door to do other content too. So you can actually beef yeah. out the streaming platform. Cause again, I'm just thinking like some sort of like last chance U series with an indie ball team would be like, I think really good material to do. I'm just saying, I think that's an idea for a series or there's a, there's a lot of options for content out there that you could use to pad out the streaming platform. So I, I am kind of rooting to see the Atlantic league go to a system like that. You know, I disagree in this sense. I mean, maybe it's a little selfish to me, but mm. I kind of don't mind the YouTube streams because they're free. I mean, yeah, the free is a nice thing, but the reliability reliability of those streams is always just so, eh. Like, I I always have issues with them, plus the quality of the streams I feel like are limited to. Yeah. I just, I prefer the paid platform just because, again, it's it's easier to do, and you know you're not going to have an issue, and I, I always run into issues sometimes where one team streaming and then it's all choppy and just the audio is out of sync and everything. And then the other teams only streaming the audio of the game. Like I, it's just so piecemeal here. Now that's also not to say that just because you're paying for it, all of a sudden it magically becomes better in quality. We saw there were some teams in the American association that weren't exactly up to par in their streaming, but I imagine after a year, yeah. you're able to figure things out and it gets better and you know it's expecting to be perfect out of the gate uh so it's just something that i would like to see even if you were to go to still a free service but go to like a can-am league tv type model where all the games are on one streaming platform and you have them all on the sidebar and you could just kind of click which game you want to watch and everything i'd even pick that i just hate having to search through youtube to try and find which games are live to see if we're actually up to date with everything to then find out it's a crappy signal that's not coming through clear or it's delayed or whatever it may be i just don't i I just don't like that system it just seems so it i just like a uniform system i guess what i'm trying to get at yeah it's fair i mean i I, again i don't mind free but it is annoying when you're watching it's just like the one stationary camera and i'm like can we really not do better than this that's yeah. that's minor stuff here. We have other things to cover, so we'll move along there. And just to wrap up, because I realize we never talked about what the North Division would be made up of, uh, it'd be the four teams we didn't mention. Presumably, it'd be both Pennsylvania teams, Southern Maryland, and Long Island that would make up that North Division. And it, and eventually, we will talk more about the Atlantic League when their schedule comes out and how everything's set up. And we'll get into a deeper conversation with that probably next week when the schedule's out. But it is going to be kind of weird for Long Island to be kind of and pardon the pun, out on an island by themselves. Yeah, it, it is uh, It is weird, because it is a far 
uh, stretch from the old days of the Atlantic League, I guess I could say now. Yeah, it certainly is. And with that, we go to one of those newer clubs in the Atlantic League in the Gastonia Honey Hunters. They announced their manager about three or four hours before the uh, Lexington announcement came through. And they announced that Goose Gozo, or Gazo, or however you pronounce his last name, because, you know, we don't really do name pronunciations correctly <laughs> on this show. Uh, uh, he's going to get the nod either way. He was previously the manager of the New Britain Bees in his only managerial season in 2019, or at least the only one I could find. Uh, he was 72 and 68, a pretty good season for New Britain, all things considered, to be honest. And uh, he was slated to be the Long Island Ducks pitching coach. So that falls in line with what David Martin told us as the, you're not going to get lost driving the bus to Long Island. <laughs> uh, we all, of course, as you know, thought it was Kevin Baez because, you know, we we're like, oh, well, he has managerial experience. He was on Long Island for a while. He was very successful on Long Island. He left Rockland not that long ago to pursue other opportunities. This is another opportunity. Presumably, you're going to back up to a league you're more comfortable in. You set yourself up real good. Uh, we were a bit off there. We were right. It was a former Duck staffer, just not the one we thought, but it does not, make sense. Not the one we thought. Not, yeah. not the one we thought. And listen, I think Goose Gozo, Gazo. We'll just go I'll with go Goose Gozo. from now on. We're going with Goose. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think Goose is a decent hire, to be honest with you. I, I didn't see it coming. Although, because if you go back to his Atlantic League coaching experience, he was the pitching coach under Wally Backman with the New Britain Bees in 2018 when Wally Backman left from New Britain to go to Long Island to be the manager there. Uh, he goes out, took over with the Bees. He did a, he did a solid job there. I, in my view, at least, uh, I mean, the Bees finished 72 and 68 there, which was actually their best record in franchise history. And, you know, I, I think, in my opinion, I thought that team was more talented than a, a team that finished only four four wins over 500. Mm. I mean, listen, it's a one-year sample size. It's hard to tell. I thought he was pretty good recruiting-wise, but I, I I thought that team had more than 72 wins in them. And if, if I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure they got like red hot in the second half. They were, they were bad to start and yeah. they really turned it on near the end. So I, I think... I think it's a solid hire. Not sure I would have picked him over a guy like Brett Jody. That's just me. But uh, but listen, Goose is a really really nice guy. I will say, uh, and and he's he's a solid manager. I mean, he clearly knows uh, the Atlantic League well uh, and was good at the recruiting aspects. And we'll see if he can get the most out of his out of his roster with Gastonia, which I think to this point I, I know a couple guys who have. Uh, uh, signed in Lexington to this point that I'm sure will start to trickle in over the next couple of weeks. Uh, Gastonia, I have no idea. I have no idea about any of those players. So I, I, guess, I guess we'll see what happens there. Yeah, definitely. And I think if I remember right from the 2019 season, New Britain was not good at all in the first half. They were pretty abysmal. And it was yeah. really a three-horse race for that point between Long Island, High Point, and Somerset. And then High Point yeah. kind of faded and Long Island wound up winning a big series against Somerset, if I remember right, in like the one and only bad Kubiak start of the first half. And yes, I remember that. Yeah, yep. and then Long Island wound up taking it. And then the second half, Somerset just kind of fell apart. New Britain got hot, at, although to be fair for Somerset, they had no hitting at all. And then their pitching kind of got raided by foreign leagues. So they were yeah. kind of dead in the water at that point. And we all kind of realized, okay, it's not going to really happen for New Britain here just because they waited too long to get hot. And we were like, okay, either Long Island wins this again. High Point will wind up taking that other playoff spot over here. And any wild card scenario, they're not going to beat out York, if I remember right, because York yeah. got incredibly hot and then they got the other nod. And that's how that wound up shaking out. And So, I'm Nick, now I remember, actually, now, now I remember the, the, the specifics. Because yeah. it's coming back to me now. Yeah. So the first half was terrible for New Britain. And then at, at like the all-star break, he completely changed his roster. He signed like eight new guys on like one day. Like he brought in like Mike Carp uh, oh, one day. Yeah. He brought in David Roseboom the same day. Like he brought in all those guys like in a, like a huge wave in yeah, one day. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then and like boom, they picked up. Yeah, now I remember that. Yeah, the, the one week he brought in like all his ringers. 
Yeah, and then Logan and he brought, Moore. That was Taylor Motter, too. That was the ta- he brought in Taylor Motter there as well. Yeah, and then I remember because I was like, Logan Moore made the All-Star game. The dude's batting barely above 200. He's no All-Star. And then Logan Moore decided, no, nah, I'm going to bat around 280 now and become one of the best now, catchers. Now I'm going to start hitting nukes and being like one, still among the best defensive catchers in the league. So I know, yeah. Hey, like, there we go. Any case, we're going to talk about the Frontier League now. And uh, <laughs> I apologize for the lack of actual Gastonia talking there, but I mean, there's not really much to say. It's a good hire. It's not he's who we fine. thought, but he's a, he's a fine hire. <laughs> he's, he's like, sure, it's it's fine. Exactly. Like, it's not George Samus or Brett Jody, but I mean, yeah. I. Gastonia Honey Hunters. It's yeah. fine. Look, we also have now established. That Goose can only be the manager of teams that primarily wear black and like some shade of yellow. Oh, that's a good point. That's the real reason he got hired. That's real. Rules are rules, man. Exactly. Real fashion forward thinking from the front office. And I appreciate that. That's that that is commendable. The that kind of consistency you look for it. But Yeah, the the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs did not have so Billy, I'm such a disaster. <laughs> Look, it's fine. <laughs> so Billy made a big announcement, or the Frontier League did on his behalf on Monday, which I thought was going to be kind of the big news of the week. And uh, yeah, he's going to transition to be the commissioner emeritus of the uh, Frontier League. So Somerset fans, you'll kind of know what this means. Kind of like how Sparky Lyle was the manager emeritus, where it's really like. He's just kind of still a, he's still involved in the league, but it's more of a, he's more like the public face of the league. He's not actually doing the commissioner things anymore. Mm-hmm. They began yeah. looking for a new commissioner here. Uh, he'll officially transition into this alternative role. Uh, I don't want to say retire, although it is effectively a retirement uh, on March 1st. Uh, I just wanted to take a second to, you know, obviously announce that this is big news. This is a guy that spent nearly three decades in the Frontier League and has largely built it up to what it is today. And obviously, the, he's seen a lot of expansion in the Frontier League over this time, especially the last two years. But uh, he's obviously been uh, a real driving force, one of the real, I guess, kind of titans in independent league ball. And we obviously got to talk to him back in, I believe it was end of November, beginning of December. And it was a really good interview to have. And I'd love to have him back on again to just kind of like talk about all of this too. And, uh, you know, I, I just wanted to wish him well. And obviously his contribution to uh, independent league ball, and I guess now partnership ball, although that will never take root. Um, has been immense and uh they wouldn't and they meaning all the leagues really in general because what one league does affects the others wouldn't be in the position they are today without work from guys like him i mean absolutely i think bill lee and his in his many years as frontier league commissioner really did an awesome job growing the frontier league growing independent ball in general really establishing the frontier league as that i mean that developmental league you're taking guys who went who went under the radar after college, guys who maybe hit their stride after college and not enough time to get did not do it in enough time to get drafted, and uh, really getting players into the MLB uh, that way. And he was really it was pretty revolutionary uh, at the time. And you know I, I think that his legacy will live on for for a long time. And I, I know he's still going to be around. He's still going to be with the Frontier League. So he'll, he'll, I'm sure he'll still be briefed on certain things and stuff like that. But, you know, he, he's such a great commissioner. He's an awesome guy. I mean, th- that interview was, was, was such a fun time. He was such a great, charismatic, like, uh, guy that really, he, I mean, he answered all our questions fully. Uh, he, it, it, it was really an awesome interview. If you haven't heard it, you should definitely check it out. Uh, and, I were wishing him the best in retirement. He's really a, a, a tight. You mentioned, you said it. He's a titan of independent league baseball. That and his contributions will live on far beyond, far beyond his years as commissioner. Absolutely. And so, nothing but the best for him. And uh, you know, hopefully, he's still around the ballpark and you know, he's still active in the Frontier League as well. So, uh, I just wanted to bring yeah. that up. Uh, 
class act all the way through. And with that, we will talk about the the league he's kind of uh, transitioning to a different role in, and that is the Frontier League. On Wednesday, they announced that their schedule was released, and the league has undergone a bit of a facelift for the 2021 season. Uh, originally, we were going to have two divisions and have eight teams in each division. They had to reconfigure that a little bit. Now those two divisions are going to become conferences, and inside those conferences, we're going to have two divisions. So furthermore, there's four divisions of four teams each. Now this is kind of like what I was talking about, I think, last week or the week before, where I kind of wanted to see a setup like this, and then we'd have each of the division winners go to the postseason, only I thought we were going to get like three divisions or something like that instead. But I will certainly take this, because this is kind of that setup I was talking about. And uh, I guess we'll kind of run through those four divisions now, and then we'll kind of pause and, and talk about how everything's all set up, and then I'll go into more detail about uh, everything else here in just a second. So in the Midwest Conference now, we have the West and the Central Divisions. In the West Division, we have Evansville, Gate, uh, and uh, Florence with Southern Illinois. In Central Division, we have Lake Erie, Schaumburg, Windy City, and Juliet. On the flip side, we have the Can-Am Conference with the Atlantic and Northeast Divisions. The Atlantic Division has Washington, New Jersey, Sussex County, and Ottawa. In the Northeast Division, we have the Boulders, uh, Tri-City, Quebec, and Three Rivers. Obviously, the first thing that kind of jumps out off the page is that the Canadian teams are in two separate divisions, which is a bit odd. And uh, mm-hmm. there's uh, a couple other things of kind of interesting note here. We will pause for a second just to get your reaction and see what you think about this new uh, four-division, two-conference, one-league setup. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a it's a unique setup. It, it's not something we see. Uh, it's not something we see very often uh, in in independent league baseball, really in minor league baseball in general, to have these really small divisions. I, I guess. You, do you think it's like a long-term thing or do you think it's like a, you know, it's trying to limit travel this year or do you think this is the future of the Frontier League with these divisions? I would say I think it's just a one-year thing, although depending on how it plays out, I would like to see it going further and kind of be the way things are going forward. Although I would like to restructure the divisions a bit. I, I'm a bit uh, suspect on how they wound up shaking out a bit. I got to be honest on that front there. Yeah, I agree. I agree that 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 part of it is the at least the division alignment was kind of curious to me. Yeah, uh, because because the Boulders and Tri City were separate from the Jackals and Miners. Like, yeah, that's that's odd to me, and uh, it, 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 that really surprised me. Which is why I, I don't know if I if I, I I think it's fine for a year if you're if you're trying to limit travel, but. I don't know if I love like the. I think you, if you could maybe reconfigure the teams eventually, I'm willing to see how it goes. But I'm probably more of a fan of you have your frontier. I mean, you could change the names if you want, but you, you, the, your frontier division and your Can-Am division. I think that that's more how I look at it, and I think could be more successful. Uh, but I'm willing to give this this uh, four division set a try and. We'll see what happens, but I would I would hope it's a one year thing because I don't I don't love all aspects of it to be honest with you. Yeah, there's definitely drawbacks here, and I'd assume the way that the schedule is set up to work would be altered if it were to be kept going forward. Although I would certainly say I would have went with like New Jersey, Sussex, uh, and the Boulders all in one division there, and then probably put Ottawa in York's place. I'd be fine with having Washington in that division with them and leaving yeah. Tri-City with the three Canadian teams just because I think mm-hmm. distance-wise it works out a bit better. Uh, although, yeah. I, ideally, you'd have both New York teams with the two New Jersey teams in the end, but if that's the case, it is, and it is what it is. So that's really my only qualm on the Can-Am side of the board. I definitely would have wanted to keep all three Canadian teams there because obviously, as a lot of people have pointed out, the border situation is still uh, kind of in doubt. Although, I don't think it'll be too much of an issue if you're assuming you're starting Memorial Day weekend like they are. I imagine by then it'll be a lot better. And I think as far as athletes and pro sports go, I think it's a lot easier to probably get visas and 
and everything you would need to cross the border and take care of all of that business, I don't think it'll be uh, too much of an issue. All there, obviously, everything there is pending COVID, obviously. If, sure. if things don't get better or they get worse or if they get extremely better, that will affect everything in its entirety there. On the flip side, on the Midwest, um, to be honest, my kind of Midwest geography is a bit rusty. But if I'm right, Windy City is in Crestwood, Illinois. Schaumburg is also in the greater Chicago area. And Juliet is in Illinois as well. So I don't really understand why you wouldn't put Southern Illinois with the other Illinois teams and then have Lake yes. Erie near yeah. Florence and the team in Indiana. Like, yeah. I understand Gateway is kind of then out on an island by themselves where they're in Missouri and everyone else, you got to travel through Illinois to get there. So you're passing all these other teams you could be playing. But even then, okay, fine. If you want to divvy them up, wouldn't it make sense to put Gateway with the three Illinois teams and then put Lake Erie with the, with the vast majority of non-Illinois teams? Like, that, that's my only real critique on this whole setup is just I think the divisions could have been lined up a bit better. And yeah. likewise, if you were going, if this is a system going forward, which I, again, I think it's a one year and done thing. But if it is going forward, I think then 18 would have been your number. Because if you had 18, then you have three, three conferences, but they're really divisions of six each. And that makes it a lot easier too. Uh, but. You know, it, it is what it is. I don't hate the setup at all. I, I just, like I said, I just would have redrawn up the divisions to be, uh, a little bit more geographically friendly. Yeah. I, I think I'm definitely with you there. Yep. All right. So other things that we got out of the schedule release, uh, there will be some interconference play, but it's extremely limited. It is as follows. Washington will play a three game set against Florence and a three game set against Lake Erie. Quebec will play a three-game set against Gateway and against Southern Illinois. And then uh, Three Rivers will play a three-game set against Windy City and against Schaumburg. That is the only interconference play there is. Everything else is between teams in your division and in your conference. So, by and large, New Jersey will just be playing Washington, Sussex County, and Ottawa for the most part with other games against uh, the Boulders, Tri-City, and the two other Canadian teams as well. So, uh, really, who's in your conference is who you're going to be seeing, unless you're a fan of one of those, uh, I guess it'd be nine teams I just listed off there. But by and large, most of the league is not going to be playing uh, interconference games. I mean, there's what in total here? 18 total interconference games across a uh, 90 game season. So mm-hmm. not really going to be terrible, or 96 yeah. game season, my mistake. Yeah. So at least in my view, I, I'm, I'm, again, all right with it for this year. Uh, however, I, am, I, I, as somebody who lives uh, in New Jersey, I really want to see these, uh, the, these frontier teams more often. Like your Joliets, your Schaumburgs, uh, your Windy Cities. Uh, I, I, those teams, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting to me. Like those are the teams I'd kind of like to see more of. Like that, like all these teams make a trip east once a year. I would like to see that. Um, Long term, I should add, I understand yeah. why you don't want to do it for this year. But as a fan, I, I at least on the East Coast, I really do want to see the, these other teams that we haven't that I never that nobody on the East Coast ever thought they would they would see. Uh, although I understand the travel from Illinois to uh, New Jersey is not fun and not one you want to make very often. Uh, but I, I would like to see that. Obviously, I get why not, why it's not the case this year, but in the future, I do really want to see um, more, I guess, interconference games against against those teams instead of just playing the same other three other teams so often. But I get it for this year. I do. Yeah, I, I, same here. And I think, like I said, going forward again, like this is the kind of setup I would like to see because I just think it feels more like baseball to me, at least. What I'd like to see is maybe, say, 48 games against the opposing conference. So that would be two series against each. So the Eastern teams go out West for one series and the Western teams go out East for one series each. That would bring you to 48 games. That's approximately, actually, it is exactly half of the 96-game slate that they're playing. And then you'd play uh, the other 48 against teams in your own uh, own conference there 
presumably you'd play more games against the teams in your own uh, division than you would against uh, teams in another division. But that's all things that could get worked out over time, certainly. But, you know, it's all very interesting in the COVID year. Things are going to be a bit different. As I've mentioned a couple times now, it's a 96-game slate for them. That season kicks off on May 27th. It will run through September 12th. Playoffs start two days later on the 14th. The four divisional winners will make the postseason. So the Atlantic will play the Northeast division winner. And then the West will play the Central division winner. And then the winner from each of the two uh, series will go on to a championship game. And there is no All-Star game this year. But let's be honest, who actually thought we were going to get one in a COVID season? Yeah, exactly. There, there, there really should not be an All-Star game at all. So I, I, I'm, I'm totally fine with that. Uh, uh, the NBA disagrees with you. I do, don't even. I, I want to have a happy thing to add at the end. The NBA having an All Star game might plus, might possibly be one of the stupidest things I've ever heard. But uh, yeah, that's all we got for this week here. I think we had a good clip of news here. To be honest with you, uh, we had some good uh, good fun during the show too. The only thing is, you may not know about that or not. It depends if it gets edited out. If it gets edited out, then you'll probably hear it at some later date. But uh, it was a fun show, I will say that much. It was a very fun show, as always. So with that, we will run to the plugs and then get out of here. If you want to follow the show on social media, you can do so on Twitter at IndieBallPod. You can also follow on Instagram at IndieBallReport. You can also join one of the over 1,000 people now that follow AOPB underscore news there. So congrats on reaching that milestone. We're approaching that milestone. Yep. We're appreciating. Soon behind. Yep. We're not far behind. So let's see if we can't get the show's Instagram feed up to over a thousand. I think we only need about 75 more or so. So let's try and boost up those numbers and get us over a thousand by the time the season starts. I think that's a a very fair goal. And uh, then if you want to follow the show and all the other things we do, because we do have other videos and articles, although I never really write any of them. But, you know, every once in a while I throw one out there and there'll probably be uh, some sort of article coming up sometime in the near future, probably, maybe, hopefully, uh, on the website where you can also find the show notes, which has the links to everything we discussed here today, as well as any music or other information regarding the show uh, that has that on the website, IndieBallReport.com. And likewise, I almost forgot to mention we do have an interview next week, which we should have mentioned back during the Lexington segment, but screw it. I'm going to mention it here now. Next week, we will have the Lexington COO, so Chief Operating Officer. Again, we just keep getting the the high-ranking brass on this show because we're just that talented and we just, you know, we're kind of a big deal. So we managed to get these big-name guys and we will have Jesse, I'm Probably going to butcher your name, so I apologize in advance for this, but I believe it's uh, Skaglian on the show. So we are looking forward to having him on. If you have questions for him, the interview, we're going to be doing that on Monday. It'll be out as part of next week's show. So be sure to send us questions as soon as this drops and throughout Sunday, and we will be sure to get to them during the interview on Monday, and you will hear it on Saturday. And so with that, we only have the actual podcatcher feeds to plug. You can find the show wherever you find podcasts, uh, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, like I said, wherever you find the show, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. With that said, do we have anything else left to add? My thing to add today, I was telling Nick off the air before the show, it is hockey-related. The Devils have come back from their COVID pause, beaten the Rangers on the road, and beat the Boston Bruins on the road 3-2 to two last night. And it is time for the rest of the, of the NHL world to give Mackenzie Blackwood the respect he deserves. He is an absolute stud, only 23 years old. He is going to be among the best goalies in the NHL down the line, and I think he is a top-five goalie in the NHL right now. He has not lost a regulation game since March 10th of last year. He is undefeated this year. Uh, as he was While he was in goal, unfortunately, he then came down with COVID in the middle of it. So he is, I believe, I think 5-0-1 this year uh, as a starting goalie 
under two goals allowed per game. And uh, with the Devils' defense, that gives up a million shots a game. So he is truly, he is truly awesome. And Mackenzie Blackwood is a top five goalie in the game right now. And I need everyone to give the respect to Mackenzie Blackwood that he rightfully deserves. All I'm going to say is David Quinn should be out of a job. You think so? I'm all hundred. Normally, I'm not on the train to fire the coach because I think there's normally issues deeper than the coach. I was on the AV bandwagon until like the last month of the season before he was fired because I was like, he's done so much for the organization. He's not really the problem. Then I was like, ah, they're just not playing for him anymore. And we're about to start rebuilding and AV is not the coach for a rebuild. But I'm never really on the fire the coach bandwagon, but I was never really aboard the Quinn bandwagon to begin with. And when your team is second most on for average shots on goal per game, but yet you're fifth worst in goals per game, that says something about your coaching style. And the words I never want to hear out of a coach are, they wanted it more than us, we got outworked. And I especially don't want to hear that on a team that's, you know, the youngest in the league. Because if the youngest team in the league is now outworking any other team, especially a team that hasn't played since the end of January and just and half the team had COVID, so they should be their conditioning should be affected. They we shouldn't be getting outworked. That should have been a winnable game. It wasn't a winnable game. And I'm honestly kind of torn because when they win, I'm like, damn it, they're buying Quinn more time. But when they lose, I'm like, damn it, why are they losing? They're too talented to suck this much. So I'm very much on board the fire the Quinn train. There's a lot of better coaches out there. And quite frankly, I would love to see uh, after the conclusion of this road trip uh, to see the headline, uh, David Quinn fired Gerard Gallant named head coach. That would just make my that year. That would be something. That would really make my year because I see what having a good coach can do. Uh, namely, look at Long Island. They got a good coach and all of a sudden they're a good team now. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really on the board of the fire Quinn train. One win does not do it for me. This team is too talented to be this bad. And uh, if not for our Timmy Pinard, we probably wouldn't have the five wins we have. Which, on that side note, before I get to my thing to add, uh, our Temi Pinar needs to seriously win the Hart Trophy. The man has essentially done all the offense, unless so you're going to count like Colin Blackwell, which, again, Colin Blackwell should not be one of the leading scorers on the team, uh, especially at, at the talent that has. But yeah, our Temi Pinar is like watching Jacob DeGrom pitch. It's just a guy that's so much better than everyone else around him, where it's just like, how is he able to do these things? Like the pass he made for the easy tap in for Blackwell last night, meaning Thursday night. That was just amazing. Like that. And he has such a good release and everything. He's just so good. He really is talented. And like, I know he was like third in heart voting last year, although I will still die on the hill. He deserved to win that one. I will certainly say he damn well should be in the final three again this year. I know there's other guys that have done more this year to this point. But he has done more and literally dragged this team to anywhere near respectable. So uh, I'm definitely on that bandwagon. Uh, he is the one rare free agent signing that hasn't backfired on us. And I'm just going to keep riding this train because now I, I'm a full believer in Artemi Panarin. I was after last year, but now I really am. Yeah, he, he's very, very good. He really I, is. I, I, I will, you, will not find, uh, you will not find me arguing that one. Mm. And so with that, I'll just quickly add my other thing here. There was a couple of things I was kind of battering around, but I decided to go with a, a positive one here. So uh, AJR dropped a new song. Now, for those that don't know what AJR is, they are a band. They are a brand of three brothers originally from New York. They started out doing street performing and whatnot. A bunch of pretty young guys. They, they've been at this for a little bit here. They're on the verge of dropping their fourth album. That comes out next month, which I will almost certainly be recording at this podcast and then driving over to Target to get that CD as soon as it comes out. Uh, they released the final single off of this album Wednesday at midnight. And at first I was kind of going through trying to find the song because on Spotify, uh, if you have the free version, you can't play individual songs even if they're released as a single, which is extremely annoying. Same thing with just about any free actual music service. But then I just went to YouTube, went to their YouTube page and started listening to it. 
And I can honestly say I've probably listened to the song since it came out Wednesday at midnight and I was about 8.30 on Friday night. Probably close to 30 times, if not more. Like, I've just been grooving to this song. It's really good. It's called Way Less Sad. Like, so far, everything off of this album, like each of the singles, uh, Bang, which is probably the one most people know, is like number eight across all the U.S. pop hit charts. Like, normally they chart for alt-pop, but now they were, like, charting eighth most popular song. Um, they That's one that most people probably know. Bummerland's another one that was off there that I was a fan of, then My Play, and then now Way Less Sad. This song, like, when you listen to the lyrics of it, it doesn't match, like, the instrumental, but the song just fits so well. And I would really recommend for people that are looking for new music to definitely check out this song. It's like the most typical AJR song you could have. And it's just really good. You just keep grooving to it. And like, again, when you listen to the lyrics of it, it doesn't seem like it matches, but it just, it works so very well. Fair enough. I mean, to be honest, I, I don't listen to a ton of music. I don't know. I, I, I just, I just, there's too many sports on too much sports to watch. I don't know. And I'm never going to concert guy. I hate concerts. Really? I'll save that. I'll save that rant for another day. Yeah, you know what? Maybe, maybe I'll do that rant next week. Why? Oh, I cannot stand concerts. Okay. I will never, I, I went to I'm one hold, and I will never go back. I didn't hold you to the rant on the food where you, you teased and then you never got around to saying what that food was. I didn't hold you on that one, but I'm going to hold you on the concert one because I disagree a lot. I used to not be big in the concerts and then I started like going to a lot more and whatnot. And I got to say, it, and a lot of concerts depend on who you're seeing and who's going with you. I will say that much. I don't know. I'm just any, any, any musician that I could go see in concert, I could also just listen to on my phone. And I'm not even the most social person, to be honest with you. So, I don't know, and like everyone's just smoking pot everywhere, and I, I can't stand that, and I don't know. It's just, I, I'll, I'll, I could save my full rant, but, uh, you know, I'm not a, you not know, a big concert. I'm writing this down right now on one of the scraps of paper I have that I put in my pile of things here, because we're going to talk about this next week, because I, I, I disagree with you on this one. But, yeah, I'll agree with you on the music bit. I go through long stretches where... I won't listen to like much music at all, like maybe a handful of songs for like six months, and then like a week, I'll only be listening to like music and whatnot. Normally, I'm a bit of a podcast guy when I'm listening to stuff and doing stuff, but now I've gone back onto my uh, my music kick that's mainly punk pop and alt rock and things like that. So, right, uh, okay. Yeah. Any case, we'll so next week then. Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm looking forward to that one next week, and also then next week you can also divulge the food that you have some sort of vendetta against as well, because I know that's been teased and people are asking about that. Like I legitimately get DMs about that occasionally. Really? Okay, yeah. then I'll do it. I'll do it next week. I promise. Yeah, like I, and every time I'm like I'm not telling you, but trust me, you're gonna have an opinion on it. <laughs> yes, you will have an opinion. So with that said, and I don't think we have anything else left to add at this point. Uh, I'll end this show like we end every show. Don't forget to play ball. It took a second, but that one I think worked out. That, that sounded good. Love it when it works out like that.